I'm an introvert. I'm a I'm a generally reserved person. I'm not a conversationalist, but I thought it would be a great idea to to start a podcast. This is this would probably be the second episode that will be going up live on on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, um if you're here, you should probably know about my YouTube channel. Uh go follow that. Go subscribe there and and watch those two videos that I have up there. And I think that'll be my main production. Uh, for the time being, and this podcast will be sort of a um, something that I'm doing on the side. So, um, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts and rate and follow on Spotify as well if you're on Spotify. And maybe I'll put this on YouTube. Uh, I don't know, but if people like it. But um, yeah, this is what I'm doing here for now. So, let's get started. Okay, so I've been playing a city building game called City Skylines recently. I've been playing it a lot like um I think for in, in the first 2 days I got it I played like 14 hours. Um not 14 hours straight but like 7 hours a day. But anyways, um it it it, it it's a city building game so you you control a city, you gradually build and grow and expand and you're responsible for all sorts of things such as the electricity that runs the city, the sewage treatment, the water treatment, um, where your residential areas are going to be, commercial areas, industry, all that, all that jazz, the whole shebang. And so I got to thinking, and it, it's very similar to what ownership is like in the NFL and the NBA and what managing a team is actually like and what it means. This all came to thought thanks to the whole situation with the Redskins. I, I keep on saying the Redskins the Washington football team and Dan Snyder and the whole situation with the Kings and Vlade Divac and Peja stepping down due to their disagreements with Rana Dive, who's the Kings owner. But yeah, the problems that these both these franchises have, first of all, the Kings have had the longest playoff drought in in the NBA at the moment and the Redskins have not been good since the mid nineties. So and you can mostly attribute most of their problems to the owners. Although the Kings owner has only been the owner for about seven years, Dan Snyder has been the owner for the Washington NFL team since since the late 90s, for 20 years, for over 20 years. And when you're the owner, you're responsible for hiring a bunch of te- people who will run your team. And, and the thing with owners... Oftentimes they they're not really thinking about they see their NFL teams they see their teams as as an entity it's something that will ultimately make their money and public opinion for the most part does not matter um, with the case of Dan Snyder he bought the team for under a billion dollars about I think if I'm not mistaken for eight hundred million dollars and now the team the Redskins the Washington NFL team is worth three point four billion so no matter what with the way that these these leagues are structured especially the nfl and the nba they will always profit no matter what they do and the point i'm trying to get at here is owners don't have to care about how their team is run or how how well they are are winning or or how how their star quarterback is playing they don't have to care about these things because at the end of the day the commissioners of these leagues, their job is to make the league money. It's to market the league and, and it's to get 
good TV deals and all those things. And that's what the owners are thinking about. Although there's some owners out there like Mark Cuban and and Jerry Jones who care about fan service and and they care about their fan bases and they care about where they're from and 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 what it means to actually run a very successful franchise. But there's with with every Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones is always going to be a Dean Spanos. There's always going to be a um um a Dan Snyder. My main problem is I'm tired of uh businessmen and 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 capitalists um running these these sports teams into the ground because it's not really fair to the fans it's not really fair to not only the team's fans but the fans in the league as a whole um it ruins parity it it, you get a lot of these bottom feeders that stay at the bottom for a very long amount of time and for those of you who don't know the owners are the only person on the team um, who can't be fired? The only way they lose control is if they they sell the team, and this this often happens if um, they they don't really care to run the team anymore, or they have other assets that they want to take they want to take care of, or if in the case of Donald Sterling, they do something really damaging to the image of the league itself that they have to get pushed out um, manually by the other owners and the commissioner. And even in the case of Donald Sterling, he profited. Um, in 1981, he bought the team for $12.5 million, and he sold the team, well, his wife sold the team um, to Steve Ballmer, who's the current owner of the, Col- uh, the Clippers, in 2014 um, for $2 billion. So that is 900%. That's a 900% profit. So my point is, yeah, this is, this is pretty bad. Being an owner in the league, um, the NBA, the NFL, whatever, MLB, it's about how much money you can spend. It's not a job that's based on merit. It's not a job that's based on ability. It's not a job that's based on skill. It's about how much money you can spend to put in a franchise to own it. And from there, that's when you decide, okay, where am I going to put this money? Am I going to put it into infrastructure? Am I going to put it into the uh, the organization that towards the people who are going to run the organization, um, the people under me, the GMs, the coaches, the trainers, and whoever who are going to take care of the players to make sure those guys are good. And sometimes owners aren't really thinking about things like this. They just buy it, and then they hire a couple people who help run the organization, and then they forget about it. And at some point, the, the owner just becomes a figurehead. Sometimes they get lucky, and they end up putting together a really competent franchise, but sometimes the ineptitude that starts at the top starts to trickle down to the bottom, and you end up with a team like the Browns. You end up with a team like the Knicks. You end up with a team like the Cavaliers. So going back to my city skylines example, if I were the mayor and I was running a city, uh, I, 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 I put out the road plan I I plan out the residential, commercial, and industrial areas, and I just leave it, and I let them grow because the AI on that game is tremendously capable, and they're smart, and they know where to go, and they know what they need to do. And and if I just leave it there for years, I and I don't respond to any of the fans' request, the fans' request or the citizens' request in this case, and I don't respond to what they need in terms of like I I need to get to my job faster there's no public transport 
I, I have no way of getting educated. Even though realistically, everyone has what they need in order to make money. They have places to work, cars, etc. If I ignored these requests, the city, people wouldn't want to live there. People would want to leave. And this, going back to ownership, if if you ignore the requests of the fans, like this GM is is signing and drafting terrible players, the coach is calling terrible plays in-game, and he doesn't know how to run a team or even build a relationship with his players, if you ignore these requests and these obvious problems that the teams will have, or even if you respond to these problems poorly, it'll lead to a culture, a toxic culture, a losing culture that nobody in a fan base or even anyone who's running an organization would ever want because it's hard to dig yourself out of that hole. The team will stay the way it is. You'll lose fans, which in the end of the day for the owners, it doesn't really matter because you're going to continue to make money because you're a businessman and that's what it's all about at the end of the day. That's the bottom line. And and the franchise and the whole environment as a whole, the whole sports environment is hurt by this. My main gripe with this all is that I just want a league in both the NBA and NFL where everyone is capable of winning and where everyone has an equal chance. And the only way this is possible is if every owner cares about winning and they understand before they go in buying their teams and before they 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 make this big massive change in their lives they realize that owning a franchise is not about just making money you're you're responsible like for the fans you're responsible for making their experiences as worthwhile as possible because they're people who unfortunately as this is the case who live through their teams their their happiness and and how their life is depends on how well their team is playing and and that's I think that's a good thing for some in some cases. But if you're a fan of the Knicks, like you're you're a sad motherfucker. Like that you're screwed. So my point is, James Dolan, please sell the Knicks. I'm just kidding. But yeah, ownership is wild. It, it needs to change. I don't know what change it is, but I just thought I would talk about like that little parallel that I noticed and and yeah. So what's happening with the NCAA right now is just an indication of how bad and how money hungry they they truly are and although from the outside it seems as though they're making the right decisions with the Big 10 and Pac-12 stepping out and postponing their fall seasons um their priorities aren't really into listening to the athletes who are making them the money who are getting them the fans they're getting the butts and seats they're getting Everything that the ad revenue, all of that, that makes the NCAA the NCAA, and keep in mind this is a this is a uh, an an entity that is created to advocate for the health and safety of collegiate athletes, and that is what they've been doing for the most part. But the decisions that they're making is more dependent on. How long can we keep this structure alive? Can How long can we maintain this structure that is based on amateurism? And how long can we continue to, like, wring out all the money we can out of these athletes? And this brings me to an interesting quote that was brought to my attention by Roger Sherman from The Ringer. He essentially says, and I quote, The people in charge of college football wanted a season 
because they hoped it would prevent the college sports infrastructure from fundamentally changing. Now they widely appear poised to postpone the season because if they don't, then fundamental changes would be unavoidable. What this essentially means is that they now appear poised to postpone the season because now with the new structure of how they're, they're going to be quarantining the athletes and keeping them in a quote-unquote bubble would essentially mean they're being treated as pros. And now it changes the whole entire nature of the sport. It would be very similar to how the NBA bubble is, but now they're signing off and they're, they, they understand the risks and they, they sign off health protocols that are constantly being tested. And, but they're doing this, they're not doing this in, in exchange for money. They're just doing this to do this because of the love of football. But at the same time, you're signing off on your health. So there has to be some form of compensation. And when you put student athletes in a separate bubble that's away from the dorm, um, it they they're no longer student athletes because they have to be participating or they have to be living in a dorm that has at least 51% of general students living in that housing in order to make sure that um, they aren't getting any special treatment. And now that they essentially living by themselves, they're now workers of the campus. Now there's potential this would work in big, massive conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC and the Big East and whatever. But the smaller Division three schools, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to, to to keep this structure up for a couple of months. They they don't have the money to do these things. So the problem with this is, it introduces a whole. It, it now forces the NCAA to make uh, real real substantial decisions that will change their future. And now with this whole we are united, we want to play uh, protest that's going on with the players, it brings up a discussion of compensation and it brings up a discussion of incentivizing health like the NFL is doing with players who opted out. And now that you have this dead space for, for some conferences, I hope, my hope is that, and I, um, I'm probably assuming this won't happen, my hope is that they they start heading towards the direction of restructuring this this stupid ass amateurism this concept of amateurism that should not exist uh and 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 create something that can really listen to the voice of the players the player union that's being requested as well and actually give back to those who have made the ncaa what it is and I understand the NCAA has a lot on their plate. They has a lot to focus on. But I really, really, really believe that the voices of the players matter, especially in a time like this. We are in the middle of a pandemic. And health is important, and them making money is, I'm sure, important. But the players, it, it's always been the bottom line since the beginning of the NCAA's establishment. So it should continue to be the bottom line for them right now, um, especially considering, like, they're a nonprofit organization. Damn. The 2020 NBA playoffs are finally here. Uh, we had to wait a whole entire off season in order to get the restart going in the bubble, and we were not disappointed uh, with the narratives and the experience and the gameplay that we got out of uh, the bubble. And 
it was pretty successful so far. The NBA has managed to keep everyone safe, knock on wood, um, barring a couple of injuries. Um, pretty much everyone was able to stay healthy, and um, they look like, most for the most part, everyone looks like they're in shape to take on the playoffs. And, yeah, so let's go. I'm going to be talking about... Um, What's uh, my outlook for um, each series, each first round series? Uh, I'm going to start with the Western Conference and then I'll go on to the Eastern Conference. And all right, here we go. So in the West, I'm going to start off with the Lakers and the Blazers um, with the first and eighth seed, respectively. I think the, the obviously the whole seeding in the Western Conference was primarily for this eighth seed. Um and the Blazers were able to pull it off on, on the back of Damian Lillard. And I think this is where the line stops for, for the Blazers. The only thing that I'm more mostly worried about for the Lakers right now is who is going to guard um, Damian Lillard for the majority of the game. Because last time around, uh, in the play-in tournament um, that the Blazers obviously won against Memphis, it was Dylan Brooks who was on... Lillard the entire games like like white on rice and he did a very good job for the most part um and this this can work from time to time but also Lillard has shown especially in the bubble he's shown to be pretty much immune to this defense and besides maybe Danny Green who I don't really see guarding Damian Lillard the entire game um, I don't think there's anyone else except for like Caruso, um, who I actually think might be guarding him for the majority of the game. I don't see anyone else who will actually um, uh, hold that responsibility. And this is where the absence of Avery Bradley um, will really, really hurt them. Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo will really hurt them in the backcourt. I think they're just really understaffed in that area. But yeah, the for the Blazers... Um, I'm gonna say they they go out in five. I think they can pull off a game uh, because Damian Lillard is Damian Lillard and he can go on crazy scoring efforts. But because of everything that's happening right now and McCollum having a bad back, their lack of defensive um, potency and the fact that they I mean outside of they have a bunch of shot makers. They have Nurkic, Gary Trent. Carmelo um and outside of that there's really much else, not much else to go through um and their bench isn't as deep as you would like it to be against the Lakers and even though they ma- outmatch the Lakers in the backcourt they don't as an overall team they don't have enough talent that will go against the Lakers as a whole even though the Lakers are yes they're playing poorly LeBron is playing poorly Danny Green is shooting poorly yes these all these things are true the Lakers, they're still the Lakers, and at the end of the day, I feel like LeBron will eventually step out and and start to get back in his groove, and AD will continue to be AD, and they'll just they'll may they may lose a step in one game, and eventually they'll be able to take it over and finish it up in five. Uh, gentlemen's sweep for the Lakers in the first round. Rockets and Thunder. All right, four and five respectively, four, fourth and fifth seed respectively, and. I think this is the one out of all of these series, the first round series so far, this is the one that everyone should be out watching for. 
um, just of course for the narrative of course uh, Westbrook playing uh, his former team again and CP3 playing his former team. CP3 obviously may have a grudge <laughs> against the Rockets for sending him to OKC to just rot. But um, two point guards with very, very huge legacies and very, very major impacts on the history of the N- NBA. And they're both um, very interesting personalities. And just outside of that, um, the the Rockets and the Thunder have both have interesting changes to the offense this this past season. With the Rockets, you obviously have their super super small ball, their tiny ball with um, with a with a whole mix of uh, guards and forwards on the court, and obviously the Thunder, who are playing under CP3 and playing a a new brand of offense that. Billy Donovan has never played with before and a more an offense that is more catered to giving everyone an opportunity not so much catered to one guy and a guy named Russell Westbrook and and now that he's gone the Thunder have looked almost as good as they have ever been since um, Kevin Durant has has left the team Um, and whether you want to see that as something that's unfortunate or um, if that's for the better that's up to you. Narratives aside, this is a really interesting uh, series. I think I, I was back and forth on this, but I really do think the the Thunder can really edge this out. I'm not really sure about how the the Rockets' tiny ball lineup will work out against in a in a playoff situation where teams are playing you over and over and over again and they're going to start noticing the kinks and how everything works about your offense and and on top of that um Westbrook is starting the series injured so we don't know how long he'll be out obviously it's been a couple days and it was a minor quad strain but um if they end up playing at least even two games without Westbrook it can serve to to hinder the Rockets a lot and being down two against a team like the Thunder who I I feel like will be really annoying to play against um just in terms of you know CP3 in the playoffs but having him out like that it gives an opportunity for the Thunder to potentially hone in on Harden and really get him into serious foul trouble and without Harden on the court, and I don't think they they have Eric Gordon back. I don't think he's been cleared. Without those two guys, there's no one to really create off offense. You can say like maybe um, Austin Rivers, but <laughs> that's about it. So that's 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 my main problem with with how I think this series is gonna go. So, but with with how everything with you adding up all the factors. I I still think the OK OKC can can edge it out in seven games. I still think that the the Rockets um, can pull it off and win three games at the most if Westbrook is able to come in later in the series. But for the most part, I would say Thunder in seven. Ignore what I said about Eric Gordon. He's gonna he's expected to start um, in game one. But even then, even with having him as a playmaker. In the times that uh, Harden isn't going to be on the court, it isn't exactly ideal. Uh, Thunder still in seven, and yeah. So at the three and the six spot, you have the Utah Jazz. 
or excuse me, the Denver Nuggets and then the Utah Jazz, respectively. Um, this is also a pretty interesting series. Um, for the for the Nuggets, they've obviously had their hand at um, trying out a a more a anti rocket squad with guys who are all over six 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 seven, and I think this is also an it brings up an interesting conversation of um, po- a positionless league and things like that in the NBA. But anyways, um, MPJ looks amazing with with Denver right now, and so does Bobo, even though Bobo looks very raw at times. Um, they both look like they're going to be future cornerstones of the Nuggets. And on the other hand, the Jazz, they're okay. Um, they still don't have really any semblance of an offense and even with now that they're missing Bogdanovich I think they're going to struggle in that aspect and I've heard a lot of people saying this is close I still think the Nuggets would 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 be able to edge this out I don't think it would be a seven round series I think it would be sec six games um the Nuggets would be able to take it in six um and also Conley is out for the Jazz so it wouldn't really be a a as much of a toss-up as people think. So, yeah, Nuggets in six. Very, very good offensive team for the Nuggets, and the Jazz have a very good defense. So it would be interesting to see that. But in terms of on the other end, I still think the Nuggets still overpower the Jazz. Lastly in the West, we have the Clippers at the second seed and the Dallas Mavericks at the seventh to... And Dallas Mavericks at the seventh with an MVP candidate at the at the seventh seed with Luka Doncic, which is insane. Um, but the Clippers they they have this easy. Um, the Mavericks Doncic I I would say looks awesome. Um, I didn't watch a lot of Mavericks games in, in the bubble, and I don't think I besides the first Clippers game I didn't watch a lot of that either. So, but with Montrez Harrell coming back. And the Clippers finally having a chance to get all the guys together, which was their intention in the beginning of the of the season. Um, obviously, on paper, the Clippers look stacked when you consider if all the guys are healthy, everyone on the roster is healthy. And I don't think the Mavs have enough to to go against that um, Kawhi Paul George combo with Montrez Harrell down low helping. And then you have Zubac potentially on the bench if he's if if he's not helping um, already starting, and then Lou Will on off the bench and Mo Harkless off the bench, whole bunch of shooters off the bench, and yeah, and the list goes out. Reggie Jackson. So yeah, for right now, I, I I still have the Clippers in five. I think it's similar to the uh, Blazers and Lakers matchup. The Mavericks have a tremendous point guard or small forward, whatever you want to call him. But I think just overall talent, the Clippers just outmatch them. And it really doesn't even, it's not any deeper than that. So, yeah, uh, Clippers in, in five, I think they can edge it out with one off the back of Doncic and Porzingis, but they just don't have enough firepower. As for the East, things are generally simple. Everything looks either a sweep or it's in five um to start off uh milwaukee and the magic yeah no uh that's (laughs) that's a very very easy sweep um i hope they can 
give their guys as much as rest as much rest as they can it seems like um some I'm I'm worried somebody on the bucks hopefully not like any anybody knock on wood uh gets injured cuz this is this game is almost uh, too easy magic might miraculously get out uh, a game because uh the bucks take their foot off the pedal but for the most part Milwaukee Orlando Milwaukee in 4 uh yeah that's a easy easy sweep Next up, we got Indiana and Miami, uh, the Heat and the Pacers. Uh, the Pacers with the fourth seed, the Heat with the fifth. Uh, TJ Warren against Jimmy Butler. The first time they met in the bubble, obviously, the Heat edged it out, and I think they'll be able to edge it out pretty easily with this one. TJ Warren fell out with an injury. Sabonis is out with an injury. Oladipo is certainly not himself, and while... Nat McMillan, I have the utmost respect for him and what he was able to do with the Pacers this season. I think the the line stops here with them as well. Um, it's unfortunate because the Pacers had a tremendous season, and I don't think they Nat McMillan and and what he did with all those injuries with Oladipo and a whole bunch of guys um, aside of him getting injured all throughout the season. They were able to get on the, the top half of the Eastern Conference, which is pretty good. And, and yeah, so the Miami Heat just have a, a team that's more poised to win it in this series. Um, I, I'm i going to have a hard time explaining why, but even though Warren is going to be healthy in the first game, Sabonis still has no timetable for his return. Miles um, Turner is still day-to-day, and a lot of their the good players that they have remaining on the team are not entirely a hundred percent there, so I'm I'm worried about that. But even without without Warren, they don't have much of an offense, especially this season. And even though he's there, I don't he's not a hundred percent. And I just think the Heat edged us out again based off of sheer talent and sheer firepower and, and depth. So but you know the Miami Heat are are playing well, and I think they should get some credit. Um, Spolstra is still going, still still playing at a high level, still coaching at a high level rather, and they've been able to put together a really decent team. And Tyler Hero's really good. Bam Adebayo is a potential Most Improved candidate, and a really really good future cornerstone for the Heat when uh, Butler inevitably gets older but even with this all being the case and on top of Igudala and Jay Crowder playing big roles and everyone else on the team I don't they're not dark horses they're not guys who I really believe can take the finals end up in the finals they're a good team yes but yeah they they will win this series I will give you that they will win it in five they will beat the Pacers in five games, but they are not dark horses. They are not that good, and I just don't have that much faith in the Heat. They, they I'd love for them to show me, though. Okay, so next in the East, we have the Celtics and the Sixers with the third seed and the sixth seed, respectively. Um, initially, uh, this was this was a would have been an interesting matchup if Ben Simmons were to be healthy, but now that he was he's out thanks to a season ending injury. All they have is a battered up Embiid and Brett Brown 
coaching <laughs> against a very, very potent Celtics team that seems to be well put together from the games that I've seen with the Celtics. And Tatum is back in the form. He's able to return to the form that he was uh, when the when the season was initially cut off back in March. And yeah, this is, I think, it. some people would tell you that it's Celtics and five, but I think this is also a sweep for the Celtics. Um, I am worried about the Daniel Tice and Embiid matchup. Um, Horford is on the Celtics, um, on the Sixers now, so that's a little narrative that people can get around, but it's not as interesting as the uh, Rockets OKC one. But yeah, uh, yes, Celtics would would sweep this one. I'm yeah. Back to the Tice Embiid thing. Embiid may out overpower him in some cases, but the rest of the defense and what the Sixers have on offense is just not a match. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the Sixers um, pretty much own the Celtics in the season series that um, they've played against each other. And they in each game, they've still played great defense on Embiid, despite the fact we don't have a, they don't have a, a very powerful front court. It's all in the, the back court and, and the forwards. And the difference between these two teams, I think, primarily is the with Embiid and no Simmons, the the Sixers are good, but the Celtics are great with the amount of twenty point scores we have and the amount of guys who are coming off the bench and can play solid defense as well. So I think with all these things together, maybe the Sixers would edge out a game. But if I were a betting man, I would say the Celtics would be able to sweep and uh, take the series in easy in an easy fashion. Last, but certainly not least, we have the two and seven with Toronto and Brooklyn. Um, I like Levert. I will be honest with you. I love Levert. He's a really good player. And I was one of those people who was asking, why is Brooklyn here? <laughs> because like they literally did not have a team. They lost DeAndre. They lost Dinwiddie. They lost Kyrie and they already didn't have Kevin Durant. So all that was left pretty much was Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, who have been pretty doing pretty well um, in the bubble. Uh, Jared Allen, especially in the very uh, last game, I'm not sure who they were playing. I think it was uh, the last seeding game was, I think, against the, the Blazers. Um, Jared Allen was playing amazingly, and... Yeah, Lavert played played great in that game as well, and he earned a spot on one of the all bubble teams. I think he was on the second team, but anyways, the Brooklyn Nets were fun to watch, despite the fact they had a pretty poor roster and everything that happened has happened to them this season has been extremely unfortunate. Especially when we were looking in the off season. We were looking at seeing, we were excited to see Kyrie play for the Nets. We were excited to see what Kenny Atkinson could do as coach, but we didn't even, they didn't even make it to the end of the season and we're left with this team. Now you're, you're left with a team that's sort of optimistic for the future. You still have a great piece in Levert who you can potentially, who's potentially solid trade bait and he will, or he could be a really good role player for when Durant and and Kyrie come back. Um, and so, same with Jared Allen for when DeAndre Jordan 
may want to leave or if they want to flip DeAndre Jordan for something else. But anyways, I'm rambling. I like the Nets, but they cannot beat the the Raptors primarily because Nick Nurse and what he's been able to do with the Raptors and that defense and that that um really good backcourt with Van Vliet and Lowry, who Van Vliet I I can't wait to see him get paid. Um it's amazing. Their defense they they have defenses for basically anybody in any situation and Nick Nurse seems like a really interesting mind who is going to wreak havoc in the league for the for the future for a good for a good amount of time. So, yeah, I think this is a sweep as well. Even though the Nets are really fun to watch and LeVert is a really awesome player, I think they should they should uh sit this one out and 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 let this one go because even if they were able to miraculously get past the Raptors here, um I just don't I don't want them to lose any more players because the the stock that they have in the future is amazing. So, Raptors in 4. And that is it. That is the NBA, the first round of the NBA playoffs. I'll be back again to be go over the semifinals of each conference. But, yeah, that's it for the podcast as well. The NBA playoffs looks exciting. The future of the NFL is the future of the NFL. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, I'll be focusing on the NBA for now here on the podcast. But if you made it this far, thank you for listening. Um, share to your friends, share to your parents, uh, your siblings, your cousins, whoever. And, you know, just make sure I get out there. Um, I just want people to see this. But, yeah, feedback would be nice. Just let me know if you like this format, um, how things are. I will be back at it again. Uh, and you will see me when you see me or hear me when you hear me, rather. So, yeah, bye bye